Well, again, good morning and uh, welcome to all of you, to visitors. A special welcome back to our students. I have not had the opportunity to say that to our students, but we are so glad to have you back. We are a, a different place when you're gone. We are a better place when you're here, so we're glad to have you. And if you have been with us through the summer, you'll know that we have been in the book of Psalms, and this Labor Day weekend, we wrap up that series. And we do so with a psalm that is quite appropriate for Labor Day. It's a psalm about labor and rest. It's Psalm 127. Psalm 127, if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you'll find it on page 518. And this morning we'll be looking at the first two verses of that psalm. But before we hear God's word, let's take a moment to pray. We look to you once again, our good and gracious God. You who have spoken, you who are speaking even now by the power of your spirit through this, your word, into our hearts. And so we pray that now you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. Lord, we pray that you would move us well beyond mere insight this morning. Uh, but that you would work transformation of your grace deep within our lives. And we ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so now I invite you to hear the word of God from Psalm 127, uh, verses 1 and 2. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And this is God's word. It's given to us for our good and ultimately uh, for his glory. And so let's turn to it now. And this morning as we look at these couple of verses, we're going to look at them in two parts. Uh, two gifts. The gift of work and the gift of rest. So work and rest. That's where we're headed. And so we begin this Labor Day weekend with the gift of work. And when I think about work, I, I can't help but think about my first real job, a, a summer job. Uh, I had it during the, the end of my high school days and the beginning of college. Uh, it was a good job. I enjoyed it. It was hard work. I was on the loading docks of a mattress manufacturing company working with a shipping and receiving crew. Uh, long, hard hours, lifting and loading, lifting and loading in the, uh, all day long in the, the heat and humidity of Georgia. And then I remember one day when one of the, the guys on the, on the team that I was working with, he found out that thing that I, I hated when guys found it out about me. He found out that my dad was the one who owned the company. And so he came up to me and he looked me in the eye and he shaked his head and he said, Camper, why in the heck are you working here? It is hot and hard work. What are you thinking? Is your, what is your dad trying to do? Is he trying to teach you the value of a dollar? 
Because if I was you, I would be up in the front office with my feet propped up in the AC cranked up, and I'd tell my dad to give me a book that I could read about the value of a dollar. <laughs> well, that wasn't the case for me. And when it was all said and done, it wasn't so much about the value of a dollar that I was learning, but the value of work. The value of work. Well, whether present or absent, uh, work is a significant part of our everyday lives for all of us. And think about it. When we first meet people, we ask them or they ask us after the introduction of names, so what do you do? And as adults, work takes up most of our waking hours. Now, over the past two centuries, uh, this word, this idea of work, it, it has been reduced and now becomes synonymous with job. Uh, when someone dies, their line of work, their workplace accomplishments are often noted. In fact, work has become a significant personal identity marker uh, in today's culture. Uh, this is who I am. So we put together work and worth, industry and identity tied together. But work is so much bigger than a job. Uh, much bigger than a paid position of regular employment. And so that begs the question, then, what is work? Well, despite our, our culture's narrow definition of work is that which we're paid to do, work includes any positive, productive activity. Uh, a, a broader definition of work from a biblical perspective that I have found helpful comes from John Stott, and he writes this. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, blessing to the community, and glory to God. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, blessing to the community, and glory to God. So jobs can definitely fit within that, that scope, within that definition, but also included would be many other areas of work. Uh, the work of volunteers at schools and churches. Uh, the work of parents changing diapers, cooking meals. The work of the homeless recycling a, a, a cart of aluminum cans. The work of students studying. And yes, work can be difficult at times. We all know that. And if we want to begin to understand and experience this side of the fall, dealing uh, with the pains that have come with sin, if we want to begin to understand and experience the fullness of work as we're able to now, Psalm 127 is a great place for us to be. Because as was prayed earlier, in the beginning, God worked. In the beginning, if you take a look at verse 1, easily you'll see the assertion of this verse and then affecting all of work is that God works. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city. And this, this key phrase, what a great phrase, unless the Lord, if the Lord. And, and this phrase supposes that God works. He builds. He watches over. As Eugene Peterson notes, 
The Bible begins with the announcement. In the beginning, God created. Not sat majestic in the heavens. Not was filled with beauty and love. He created. He did something. He made something. He fashioned heaven and earth. The week of creation was a week of work. And therefore, work has dignity and purpose. You'll also note that work precedes the fall. Uh, Looking at verse 1, we see the work of creating and conserving. We also see that people are to be engaging in that work as well. People created in God's image, uh, working, reflecting God's character. And people are to be engaging in work with God. Okay, this is an important distinction for us to make. With God, not without God. That one might be obvious. But not even for God. Rather, with God. Work is it's, it's meant to be, is always meant to be done with God. Unless the Lord. And so the clear implication is this. If the Lord is building the house, then the people aren't building in vain. If the people are dependent on the Lord working with him, then their labor will be fruitful. Okay, think about it this way. Over at the college, on a typical day, I'm sure you can find a lot of pickup basketball games, two on two. Now, if I was to go over there and get in on one of those games, it would be in vain. And I would feel sorry for whichever one of you was paired with me in our two, uh, two on two challenge. But think for a moment, if LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or, in my day, Michael Jordan, if they were there and I was playing with one of them, oh, we would dominate. No problem. You see, if I'm dependent on LeBron, if LeBron plays the game, then Camper doesn't play in vain. But the distinction is this. It's not that I'm playing without him. Clearly, that's in vain. But I'm not just playing for him either. I'm playing with him and getting caught up in the grandeur of his ability and the creative artistry of all that he is able to do. If the Lord is building the house, then we aren't building in vain. If we are dependent on the Lord, working with him, then our labor will be fruitful. Now, our work goes wrong when we lose touch with the God who works. Our work goes wrong when God is not central to our work. When it's not about God, but it becomes about us. When we become the center of our work. That's when it goes wrong. When we become the center of our work, then all that we do is ultimately in vain, no matter how good it looks at that moment. And did you notice three times the psalmist uses the word vain? In vain, meaning empty, purposeless. When our work is about us, when it is self-centered, when it is self-reliant, then we are acting as if we're God, building our, our own little kingdom and ultimately in vain. When we rise up early and go late to rest, day after day after day after day, then we have become the center of our lives, acting as if we're God. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times where we do wake up early and go late to rest. 
Those times do come. Those times do happen. But if that is the pattern, the rhythm of our lives, day after day after day, and you may look at it and say, but yes, that is how I live my life. But look at my family. There's food on the table. There are clothes on all of us. In fact, good food and fine clothing. But apart from God, our work becomes anxious toil. What a phrase, anxious toil. As biblical scholar Derek Kidner puts it, verse 2 underlines the fact that to work still harder is no answer to it. That can be a fresh enslavement. It's not simply that our projects will fail. There is at least bread to show for them, but that they lead nowhere. In terms of verse 1, the house and city may survive, but were they worth building? Is the focus of your life getting to the top? Are you climbing the ladder of success? And climbing that ladder, what happens when you get to the top and you discover that the ladder is leaning against the wrong building? It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. So then, maybe it's better not to work. Is that what we hear in this passage? No, not at all. That would miss the point. Again, we were created to work, but our work goes wrong when we lose touch with the God who works. Uh, Peterson continues, work goes wrong both when we work anxiously and when we don't work at all. When we become frantic and compulsive in our work and when we become indolent and lethargic in our work. You see, the foundational truth is that work is good. It is not some necessary evil that we have to give ourselves to so that we can get the things that we want or the things we need. There are times that it feels that way, but that is a result of the fall. That is not ultimately about work itself. Work is good. If God does it, it must be good. So work has dignity. There can be nothing degrading about work if God works. Work has purpose. There can be nothing futile about work if God works. Work is good, a good gift from God, one that is to be enjoyed as, as it's intended when we are working with God, when God is at the center. And of course, that brings the question before us, how then do we keep God at the center of our work? Because if you're like me, it is so easy to lose sight of God. Even, even as a pastor, when I am called to do the work of God, of, of leading within a church, it is so easy to lose sight of the God that I'm called to serve. And it's not that that's a higher calling than anyone else. God has gifted us all and called us to work and called us to find him at the very center of it, whatever he is calling us to right now. So our next point, the other gift, the gift of rest. That's how we keep God at the center. The gift of rest. Now, I hope this isn't the case for second service, but in first service, I was warned before we even got started in the service, some people came up to me and they said, hey, I've taken a look at the text this morning and 
if you see me sleeping this morning, I'm just applying God's word to my life. So I hope that's not the case for any of you. But if it is, enjoy the ministry of sleep. But seriously, without rest, our labor becomes anxious toil. We get so wound up, anxious toil, exhausted, fatigued, and ultimately the work is in vain. The psalmist sees relentless, compulsive work habits, which our society rewards and admires. But he sees them as being a sign of weak faith and assertive pride. As if God is not able to accomplish his will. As if God could not be trusted to build and to watch over our lives. As if God doesn't know what is happening in our lives. And as if we could control the world around us by our own effort. Rest is a gift, a gift to be opened and enjoyed. And in it to be reminded that someone else is in control. That someone else is working all things for good. Now, many of you know that Heather and I lived in Vancouver, Canada for six years. Uh, the, 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 the second half of that, the, the latter three years, uh, I was serving as a pastor in a PCA church plant there. But the first three years was seminary. And one of the professors at my seminary was Eugene Peterson, who I've already quoted. He was kind of the celebrity professor there. And so there were a lot of Eugene axioms that got thrown around. And here's one that I heard a lot, and, and I remember the first time uh, that I heard it. The person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously. I first heard that as a student who was studying seven days a week. The person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously, as if it's up to me to make life work. As if God might not be on the throne, or at least not as it pertains to me in my life. And then I remember a, a friend challenged me. Camper, can you take four blocks of time off in a row? And, and, and this is what he meant. If you think about our waking hours in terms of morning, afternoon, and evening, he challenged me, can you take four of those off in a row? doesn't matter where you start, but can you do it? Can you trust God with it? Can you rest in him? Now, for many, that might be Saturday night and Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening. Uh, now, pastors, we, we can easily over-spiritualize and not rest. Because, I mean, isn't all of our work so important as if God is not ultimately the chief shepherd? And so that's what the friend was challenging me with, and so it, it's hard, but for, for pastors it may be Sunday evening, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Monday evening. But again, the person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously. Now that doesn't mean there aren't times when rest is hard to come by. It's true. It is at times. Sometimes we have to work long and hard. But we were not created to overwork. Uh, there's a, a word in Japanese that I think speaks very well uh, to this need for rest. 
Uh, the word is karoshi. Ka, meaning too much. Ro, meaning work. Shi, meaning death. Karoshi. Too much work equals death. Or death from overwork. In fact, the Japanese Ministry of Labor, uh, they started keeping this as a statistic in 1987. This is now a medical cause of death. When someone dies, they may list it as Karoshi. Too much work is the reason that this person died. So again, while we were created for work, we weren't created to overwork. We were created to work and to rest. You see, the difference between life and death is faith. Or the way the psalmist puts it, the difference is rest. Uh, Take a look for a moment. End of verse 2. What what a great ending. For God gives his beloved sleep. God gives sleep to his beloved children. I mean, sleep, what a wonderful gift. Obviously, some of you enjoy that gift a lot because you weren't here at the 8.30 service. But I was so desperate to open that gift about 7.30 this morning. But we all love sleep. Now, unfortunately, I've got small kids. They have not yet to come, come to appreciate this gift. Uh, that is very evident on Saturday mornings. But God gives rest to his beloved children. We do not have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. But rather, we are called to trust him. To work with him. To rest in him. Rest is a sign of trust. An expression of faith. When I was 16 years old, uh, my first car, it was a used 1976 Buick Electra. Now, I know that I have told a story about another car that was the 1973 K5 Blazer. That's what I drove when this one didn't work. So they kind of alternated which ones were broken down. But this was a huge car. In fact, I looked it up the other day. It weighed 5,000 pounds. That's a big car. But it didn't matter because under the hood was a 455 engine. And if you don't know what that means, it basically means it had some get up and go. And it was a beautiful car. Long, sleek, white with maroon leather interior. It had all the bells and whistles. And one of those bells and whistles Uh, was on the dashboard right under the speedometer. It was called the speed alert or the speed sentinel. Now, I couldn't quite remember what it was, uh, so I called Dalton this week, our resident uh, uh, mechanic expert, automobile expert, and he assured me that this is what it's called, the speed alert. Now, basically what it was was right on your dashboard, there was a dial, and you could turn that dial and set it for a particular speed. Let's just say 55 miles per hour. And so what happened is when the the speed began to approach 55 miles an hour or hit it, this annoying buzz went off, basically saying, you have hit the limit, slow down. Now, if I'm going to be honest, I have to tell you, I did not make use of this option in my car. (laughs) But had I, it would have buzzed wherever I said it, telling me to slow down, to stop acting as if I were all-powerful and all that I was invincible. Anxious toil is putting the pedal to the metal, driving as fast as you can, as if it all depends on you. But rest is like this speed alert. 
It's a warning. It stops you. Rest is taking your foot off the pedal. Slowing down. Gaining perspective. And remembering, realizing that there is a God who cares and who is ultimately our provider in all things. Rest is faith in action. A bit of a paradox like much in the Bible, but think about it. Rest, if it's faith, it's faith in action. Uh, rest reflects dependence on God. Because ultimately it's about Christ's sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. Again, a sign of trust, an expression of faith. Now that doesn't mean it's easy. Faith is not always easy. Neither is rest. We can have a very hard time slowing down. A very hard time being quiet. But it is necessary. We desperately need it. And God provides it. But will we receive the gift? And if we do, will we just sit and look at it in all of its nice wrapping? Or, or will we actually unwrap it and enjoy it? For God gives to his beloved sleep. Now, those of you who love to study Reformed theology will appreciate this perspective, as put by pastor and professor Paul Stevens. He writes, Justification by grace through faith leads to justification expressed in sleep. Think about that. Justification expressed in sleep. Resting in Christ's finished work on the cross. Resting in God's sovereign care of all things and all people. Resting in the Spirit's ongoing creative restorative ministry. And he goes on to say, failure to sleep may at times have physiological causes, but so often insomnia has its roots in one's theology. So the gift is rest in the Lord. And he concludes, in that sense, the gospel of Jesus literally puts a person to sleep. So Labor Day, a day to celebrate work, a day to enjoy rest, but hopefully not the only day for that. Because we were created for a rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest is to be a lifestyle. Rest is not just to be the thing that we do when we're exhausted. But work and rest, work and rest, a rhythm. And yet, we are in a culture that speaks loud and clear. Keep going. Do not slow down. You will miss your place. Someone is going to get ahead of you. If you don't work now, if you don't do this, you're not going to have this. What if do not stop? Brothers and sisters, that can be paralyzing. And ultimately, deadly. But hear God's word. Because God's word frees us to stop. God's word frees us to rest. God himself invites us, invites us to come to him. Just as we sang earlier in the offering, to come to him. Come to him to be refreshed, to be renewed, to be restored. 
And as we think about this rhythm of rest and work, there's no better place to start than God's gift of the Sabbath. Sabbath rest. Now, Sabbath, there can be a daily Sabbath. Uh, those times that we uh, set aside where we are working to step away from the work, to rest. And honestly, those can be so hard that they may have to begin in repentance. I know so often for me, it's, Lord, I cannot stop thinking about this. Would you please meet me and help me to trust in you? Because my struggle is a fundamental distrust of him. It's anxiety. But the daily Sabbath, more central, is the weekly Sabbath. That day, that day that is a, a gift from God, that day of rest that he has given us for worship and play. Enjoying him, his creation, community, all those things that are, are restorative to the mind and the body and the soul. He says, come to me, rest and enjoy it. It's okay, people. You can have fun. You can enjoy. He loves to invite us into that. Now, we may have hear Sabbath and immediately think, well, yeah, that's one of the Ten Commandments. And it is. It is a divine command. But also, as with all God's commands, it is a gracious gift. And though it's often referred to as Sabbath-keeping, in a sense, we do not keep Sabbath, but rather Sabbath keeps us. Sabbath keeps us. Sabbath keeps us focused on what's really real, on what really matters. It keeps us centered on meaning and purpose, on the God who has called us to himself and given us new life. It keeps our priorities in order. Again, we were created for work and also for rest. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. And Jesus says, come Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But come. Just as every house needs to be built on a solid foundation, so every person's life needs the foundation of rest in Jesus. And so toward that end, let's pray. We look to you this morning. You, O oh Lord, who has revealed yourself that in the beginning you created. You who has made yourself known so beautifully in Jesus. And we look to you, Lord Jesus, to do a work in our lives that we would know you as the center of our work and find joy. And Lord, that you would also teach us to rest, to rest in you, to trust in you. We believe, but help our unbelief. And so we come to you as those who labor and are heavy laden, that you might give us rest. 
And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.